Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Surprise! Did you miss me, Andy? I sure missed you. I told you. We were gonna be friends to the end. And now, it's time to play. I got a new game, sport. It's called... Hide the soul, and guess what? You're it. From the Playland Fire in Sweet Home Chicago to a coming of rage in Hackenslash, New Jersey, we are Halloweenies. Greetings and welcome yet again to an episode of Halloweenies, a horror franchise podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Justin Gerber, and we are back again for a brand new episode of Now Showing, in which your Halloweenies and guests discuss what's happening in the here and now outside of the horror franchises we've been covering, offering up our takes on a selection of three 2023 horror, thriller, suspense, movie releases, and... We'll also be taking a look at the past with fresh eyes discussing a film that each of us has recently seen that we had never seen before. So, look, first up, let's get right to it. Let's cut to the chase here. First up, the Halloweeny uh, making his first appearance on this newish series. He's, we call him the maestro every once in a while. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and uh, maybe usually just on podcasts to make him feel uncomfortable. Uh, please introduce yourself. And, and what are your go-tos? when it comes to the concession stand at your local movie theater. Oh, good one, good one. Hey, this is Michael Road Games Rothman. (laughs) Just totally, absolutely (laughs) jumped ahead. Uh, Gosh, what do I get at the concession stand? It really depends. I mean, the Twizzlers are a go-to. Love Twizzlers. But then there's sometimes where I just don't want, like, Twizzlers can be dry. You know, you're just like, Mm -hmm. "Uh, come on, I need something else. And usually I, I, I always go for either duds, which you can chew, um, great honest, uh, and then also uh, Reese's Pieces. It's just a it's just a staple of mine. I love Reese's Pieces, and um, but then again, I also love M and M's. I am this is me deciding this is literally a, a good microcosm for just what my mind is like. Like I could never. It's like this is what it's like when I go to Grubhub every night. I'm like, oh, this looks good, but that looks good also. And then two hours later, it'll go by, and then we have to decide what we have to watch streaming that night. And then midnight rolls around, and nothing happened. The entire I'll tell you right now, Mike, you sound like an Amblin executive in 1982 <laughs> trying to decide: do we do we pony up for M and M's, or do we just settle yeah. for Reese's? That's what yeah. it really sounds like. That's really what it is. Brought us Reese's Pieces, and I, yeah. I also love the candy. Uh, are you excited for your first appearance on this episode, Mike? I am. Uh, you know, it's it's very rare that we get to talk about new movies on this podcast, with the exception of, like, obviously sequels or reboots or prequels to franchises mm. that we've already covered. But uh, So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited, and one of them is a very new movie, so I'm very, very intrigued uh, to kick it around here. So. 
Well, don't get too excited because, of course, when we're done, you'll be asked to sweep up the aisles Uh-oh. and clean out the popcorn machine. So don't don't get ahead of yourself. Well, it's, I won't. I won't. Especially I'm, if it's a uh, sticky popcorn, <laughs> like in um, what is it, Killer Clowns from Outer Space? Like the well, I got some good news for you. One, it is. Two, we're not covering Killer Clowns from Outer Space today. Although we're I think not. it's celebrating a, an anniversary later this year. It is. Don't quote me on that. Um, I'll, to, to be fair. Every year, a movie is celebrating an anniversary, mm-hmm. so <laughs> I'd be right no matter what. That is true, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for the validation. Oh, okay, now look, <laughs> this is a big deal because making her first appearance on Mike after having been forced to deal with our <laughs> many uhs and uh and, and what and, and I'm a smattering of technical deficiencies for a few years now is our... Podcast editor, please introduce yourself. Hi, this is May Agoth Schultz. Very good. Wow, Very good. I just I just pulled that one out. That's a good one. I'm, I like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Hi, uh, I'm really excited to be here. Obviously, I was a fan of the Halloweenies before I started editing because I've known most of y'all for like. Jesus Christ, what year is it? 11 years? I'd say so, yeah. Because you were, of course, in a band with fellow Halloweenies Dan and Mac, my brother. I don't remember. Yeah. What's his name? Yeah. Dan? Oh, yeah, my brother of 30-plus <laughs> years. Well, and, I mean, technically before that, I was in a band yeah. with you because I was, I was playing with, uh, what, what the hell were we called? Methodist Hospital. Oh, right. Is that Which what you're talking be- about? Yeah, which became mine and Dan's project. That's right. Well, I will still say I will still say I was part of a band whose album was eventually reviewed by Robert Criscow, and that's not a joke, yeah. folks. Go look it up. Again, it's, that's my that'll it's be a very my good review. It's a very good review, and uh, I'm still really proud of that album. I miss making music with Dan a lot. Well, I I hope he moves back to Chicago eventually, so we can do that again. Well, that's why God invented GarageBand. You know, I think that that shouldn't limit yourselves. Not that I'm trying to pitch you right now to take up even more time, and, and Dan especially. Not that Dan's got anything to do besides being a new father, but um, we yeah, wish him all the know, best, of course. He's fine. He'll be fine. Well, let's get right to it, because we're going to start off again. Each of us is going to give a movie that just came out this year that we've seen. We're going to run oh, through those three movies. Oh wait, oh, is there, what, is there a twist here? What's going on? Well, uh, the concessions. The, oh, I, I got oh yeah, concessions. of course. I, I, you, I just need I know, to know some candy here. You know? I know, and I know that you love the Music Box Theater. No free plugs. But what I are you do. getting when you go to the Music Box Theater? Before you sit down for a comfortable two, maybe three hour movie. What's going on? So I was actually there last night, but I went out to dinner beforehand. So I was sadly not hungry. Although uh, I do have two free popcorn cards because they've been to a couple of the garden movies already. Oh yeah, the garden. uh, I answered a question correctly and Erica answered a question correctly. So we both have free popcorn cards, but what was the trivia? Do you remember? So we saw easy a on Tuesday Mm. and 10 things I hate about you on Wednesday. Oh wow. And I'm having trouble remembering the question Erica got right, but one of the questions they asked was about like other modern day Shakespeare adaptations. And they asked about oh. she, she's the man with Amanda Bynes. Uh, and that is oh, an yeah. adaptation of the 12th night. Now Th- that's a Sammy favorite. And also always on Pluto TV. There's also, of course, <laughs> isn't she, is she's all that an adaptation of any Shakespeare? Uh, 
sort of, but... Although, to be fair, in my defense, once again, I think all modern drama is technically an adaptation of Shakespeare. So, you know, this is my, once again, get a Joe Free card here. But but not all modern movies like that are written by M. Night Shyamalan under a pen name, which she's all that was. Incredible. Incredible Wait, is that true? Yeah. Oh, my God. He's still... He's still embarrassed about it. That's crazy. That's, a cult, I, I, that's that, like that, a cult movie, though. I wouldn't yeah. be that embarrassed. Oh, he's made worse movies than She's All That, if I'm being humbly oh, honest easily. right now. Easily. No that's, shots to him, Knight. But That, that um, is oh, mind-blowing. I cannot believe that. I, I've never known that before. That is <laughs> going to change, especially when I watch Not Another Teen Movie now, when I see the, like, the, the references to it. I'm surprised they didn't like try to... Well, I guess they probably didn't even know at the time that it was M. Night Shyamalan. No, it, it wasn't revealed until, I, I want to say around eight or ten years after that okay. movie originally came out. I did not out. know that. I didn't know that. I did not know. I can't they could, they could have ran wild with that in Not Another Teen oh, Movie. Oh, absolutely. Just like, have a bunch of Sixth Sense you know, things that pop up or like signs. Well, Signs didn't come out then, yeah. But yeah, anyway, I did. Signs is a couple years away, but that's yeah. a whole other movie history. But wait. All right, if, I, if I can't are, believe I'm doing this. I'm going to get us back on track. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's well, easy really, to get it's easy to get in tangent. What, what, now yeah. you know. Welcome to hell. What? <laughs> so if you weren't full, though, what, 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 what snacks are you usually getting, though, at the movie theater? What's usually happening? Peanut M&Ms and a Sprite. You spoke my language. Every time I go to Music Box Theater, no free plugs, I get peanut butter M&Ms. And, and you, and oh, we'll test no, 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 peanut M&M. See, I like I peanut love, M&M's. Oh, no, I'm I saying love... I, I, get, I get a brand of M&M, is what I'm saying. Oh, I'm okay. Other... Yeah, no, I love a peanut butter M&M, but there's something about a peanut M&M specifically when I'm watching a movie that just mm. like, yeah, I, you know, it's the peanuts. They give it's you that crunch. protein. It's, yeah. it's the perfect amount of crunch, the perfect amount of sweetness. It's just, it's a perfect movie snack. If it's three hours, I'll get those, and then I'll probably have like a small popcorn. So, you, in other words, when you popcorn. go see Oppenheimer, you're gonna go through, you're gonna like cycle through like three different concessions. Well, if it turns out Barbie is actually longer than Oppenheimer, wouldn't that be a great twist? It's like, oh, by the way, Barbie, two hundred and twenty minutes, well, not including the credits. <laughs> if that's the Wait, case, then how long is Oppenheimer? Like, oh, it's like three hours. It says it's kissing it's three hours. hours. Jesus Christ! Honestly, bro. that's nothing. I, you know, movies now are basically two and a half hours, so I'll, I'll sit through. I'm sure. The, I'm sure there'll be like twenty five minutes worth of closing credits. That yeah. movie looks like a technical yeah. smorgasbord, as yeah. it were. Yeah, but is it going to top episode eight of season three of Twin Peaks? Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's a great. Not much does, in my opinion. Not much does. And I'm getting right? nostalgic. Oh, I will. I think. Um, I don't think. I know this for a fact. I will absolutely be bringing up David Lynch and his work later on in this episode for certain. Mm. And look, let's get underway. Uh, fun behind the scenes. Uh, Dan Caffrey was supposed to be on this episode. Uh, he unfortunately was no longer able to be on. So Mike Rothman has volunteered to, to replace him. Dan blew it. Can I tell you, he blew it. He failed. <laughs> he blew it. He failed. He miserably. Uh, hey, no, he he's... saved me. Cause he's going to swap in with, uh, for a, a much more difficult episode <laughs> for the losers club. So this is like easily a win for me. It's like a win. Okay, trade. It all worked out for Mike. Yeah. It always yeah. worked. Okay. Good. It worked out for you, yeah. but this is, it always but does. You, it always does. But fortunately yeah. I watched this movie and then he dropped out. So I was fearful that, Oh no, now I have to watch even more movies. Wasn't the case because you wanted to talk about this movie as well, Mike. And what 2023 movie did you opt to, to uh, talk about? Well, Curtis David Harder's Influencer, which mm. just landed on Shutter, I believe, yeah. maybe a week or two ago. I was blown away by this. I, I mm. really was because I'll be honest, like I have a pretty, I just have low expectations for Shutter at this point. I've just been fooled too many times by him. You know, for every host, you get about like 10 movies that, 
they say it's horror, but it kind of dances around something for a little bit. And then you're all like, oh, okay, well, this is a good drama. And then all of a sudden you get something that's kind of like riveting at the last five minutes. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. Like Spoonful of Sugar. Is that one mm. of them that was like that? Like, Yeah, yeah. It, it was interesting. It had like a psychedelic bend to it. And I I enjoyed it. But it wasn't really a horror movie other than like a few little touches. Yeah. Whereas like Nocebo, the one with... Uh, Oh yeah, uh, Eva Green. Eva Green. Oh, that, yeah, from that one was really fucking good. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's funny, full circle because actually Devon mentioned Spoonful mm. of Sugar in our last episode. Yeah, and that's why that I watched it. Yeah, and in that conversation, we discussed the the hit or miss nature of Shutter, and honestly, more misses than hits, and, and for a lot of the original programming, Mike. But yeah. well, what I loved about Influencer is that it just it's a genuine thriller. You know, it's mm-hmm. just exactly like the nineties Friday night thriller that you'd either, you know, stumble upon on USA network as a rerun, or you checked out a blockbuster having not seen it. Like I, I'm thinking of like a movie like shallow grave and yeah. a movie that's yeah. like a 90 minute in and out. Boom. This is great. I, I'm, I got characters. I've got interested. I got intrigue. I got, you know, sex appeal. It's all there. And this movie has it. I mean, like it's just, it's so sharp. And I was kind of, blown away by also the direction because the thing I, you know, and I, I just actually just lobbied against this on <laughs> lobbied like I'm in like Capitol Hill. Uh, I just railed <laughs> against this on Twitter recently, just about how I hate digitally shot movies most of the time nowadays, just because I just don't think it has a lot of the finesse and there's not a lot of depth. This movie is purely digital, digitally shot and it looks great and there's a lot of aesthetic and it, it just it it looks like it demands the big screen, which most of the time on Shutter, no shade. I still love a lot of movies that are on there. They you they you know they belong in a streamer. This one I could actually, if this was playing at the Music Box or uh, you know a theater down the street, absolutely would go to it because you go places. You know, I mean, it's 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 a it's like a globe trotting quasi globe trotting adventure here. Uh, but I, I, I really dug it. I don't want to say too much about it. It's just that it is about social media influencers. Wow. Shocker. And how something happens in Thailand and mm-hmm. where it goes from there. Just it, it, honestly, it's, it, it, it felt a little bit like an Adrian Lynn movie at some, at, at, at times too. So, yeah. And it- what I liked about this movie also, because I also watched it, um, like I said, about a week ago, and there's like there's a patience to it mm-hmm. that you don't really get on in a lot of these modern horror movies, or even suspense thrillers for that point. Mm-hmm. It's patient, but I don't think it's boring at all. No. And the reason is, is because, like you said, Mike, I think it's 89 minutes long. Yeah. This Now, this easily could have been like a, a two-hour and five-minute movie, and it probably would not have worked. But it doesn't waste its time at all. It, once that twist happens... You don't know what's it's unpredictable from there on out, honestly. Like, you yeah. just don't know what this movie is going to be. And I'm sure you can assume this at this point, listeners out there, but the less you know about this, the better. I didn't yeah. know anything before I hit play. Don't, don't and it was Google very anything. Satisfying. Yeah, don't Google anything at all. I, I will say this it also has to do with the, the poor, you know, the performances. Like, Cassandra Nod awesome. is, is phenomenal in this movie, just yeah. phenomenal. Like, she's. She's great. I can't say anything else about it because I know, right? You know, but well, she, yeah, she gives a tone-setting monologue at the beginning, and I realize, oh, this is not going to be what I thought it was mm-hmm. going to be at all. Uh, but may have you seen this yet? Or have you... No, I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, off mic, I mentioned I'm having surgery on Thursday, so I'm going to have some time to watch stuff this weekend, and then I'm having another surgery at the end of the month, 
and I'm going to have four full weeks <laughs> I was say, to watch. Zero so. excuses now. You've got to watch Influencer 2023. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. There was something else about, though. It was, uh, I found it, you know, it, it was more sensual than it even was sexual. Yeah. Which is also kind of hard to, despite the absolute uh, psychotic behavior going on in this movie. And, you know, I don't know if it's going to end up in my top 10 list at the end of the year. I'm hoping that, you know, we've got a great fall ahead, which we usually do, honestly. We always forget we how the fall yeah. always comes yeah. around. But is this going to be in my shutter top five of all time by the end of the year? Yeah. Oh, easily. I mean, and this I don't is think I'm being hyperbolic. I, you know, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic. Well, this feels like this year's watcher for me. Because I really mm. loved Watcher last year. That was in my that, top ten. That movie is so fucking good. It's yeah. so good, and it's it's just really stylistically made, and it's sharp. And this movie is the same way. And honestly, like like I said, you know, it's ninety minutes. You can't go wrong. I mean, especially if I always I always weigh things up, right? So like if I'm if it's like seven o'clock, anything goes, right? I'll put on anything. It, it could be a three hour movie. It's seven o'clock. I'm going to do it. Mm. Once it gets to like nine o'clock or ten o'clock, I'm usually kind of like, eh, maybe I'll watch a TV episode or anything. Or a solid 90-minute movie. Yeah. This works perfectly for that. And just throw it on, and you'll be sucked right in. And, yeah, I'm interested. We should actually do a list of, of Shutter movies, because I think there's been enough now where you could actually get a, a really solid handful of just, like, I'm not saying, like, banger after banger, 10 out of 10s and stuff, but... But just there's Shutter recommends, you know, yeah, Revenge yeah. and Host and Watcher, yeah. like you said. There's definitely good movies out there. I mean, I, I've never got rid of the service since I've had it, so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, there was one more thing I want to say about this movie. Oh, just, yeah, I was almost frustrated watching it, not because of the movie itself, because I was, I was just thinking about other movies that are made now. Like, they just, they used the hell out of their locations, oh, yeah. like you said. Yeah. They use, and I think that's what, you know, digital, you can do whatever you want with digital, but if you, if you have a location, you've got wide open spaces, then it's going to look great. And, it, and this movie uses real locations. Like, it's, it's filmed, with, is it in Thailand? I can't remember exactly where it's it is. It's in Thailand, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, that's the sad fate of where we're at right now. I, I yeah. got in a kind of a spat <laughs> over the weekend, on, again, on Twitter. It's the same tweet, actually, where I was talking about the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. And I was like, because mm. I've been watching them on their own Disney+, Plus. they're not great, but they're at least of quality and I was blown away that like, all right, it's shot on film, shot on location and shot with practical effects. And those three things already for me personally, personally, this is my opinion. I <laughs> think stand above, stand tall above That's a lot of the, sure. the, the right. digital, you know, the, the, a lot of the digital productions out there. And the thing that really kind of stuns me is just like, it's, it's crazy in this day and age with the way that transportation is and with the way that we're able to kind of move around equipment easily, that shooting on location is, is seemingly a rarity, which is just know, wild to me. It's just wild to me. And so it is nice to be able to have a, a movie like this where you're like, oh, it's not like, you know, a, a what is it, a, a hotel in Atlanta <laughs> doubling yeah, or, for or, something. Or they're not like shooting in like, you know, Northeast Florida and saying, yeah, oh, welcome yeah. to like Bangkok or something like that. Exactly. Welcome to Hong Kong. No, yeah. it's just not, no. Yeah. it's a real, real deal. Yeah. But yeah, okay, so everybody out there, I think at least Mike and I can agree that Influence is worth, worth checking out. Now, here's a movie that I still, here's, I will double down on this. I have not seen this next movie, nor have I seen the director's first movie. Oh. And I have absolutely no excuse for that, because I think the, his first movie's been on Hulu for about 18 years now, I feel like. And this is, <laughs> and this is and I love his father's work. 
But this is uh, May's choice. May, what movie did you decide that you want to talk about today from 2023? Infinity Pool. Okay. Now, this is written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg, correct? Correct. Yes. Right. I saw Possessor a couple mm. years ago. I watched the like unrated, extended director's cut, whatever, on Hulu. And I was so deeply impacted by that movie that mm. I immediately wrote a 12-minute song about it that accidentally ended up in iambic pentameter somehow. <laughs> we you know, speaking of Shakespeare, I was I was a Shakespeare nerd when I was in like middle school and junior high. You know, I was I was that girl like reading all the plays, like pining and just you know. You you know that girl. That was me. There you go. And so I I think my brain just kind of absorbed a lot of that kind of stuff. And sometimes when I write, especially if you're writing something, if you're writing lyrics for something that's in 3-4 time or 6-8 and it has kind of a gate to it, mm-hmm. it's really easy to end up writing lines that are 10 syllables long. And so that that happened with all the lyrics. And I I'm still really proud of that song. But yeah, Brandon Cronenberg... I think is an absolutely incredible filmmaker and I like the way he looks at humanity Mm. as kind of something to be both admired and feared. And I I think those themes really carry over into infinity pool. And obviously I'm going to try not to spoil anything. I knew nothing about the movie going in other than what I had seen in like the short trailer. Mm-hmm. So I knew we had Skarsgård. I knew we had Mia Goth. I knew we had some other very beautiful people. Uh, well, we had Cleopatra Coleman. Yes. From thank you. Cleopatra Coleman Earth with uh, Will Forte, of course. Yes. And I adore her and she's fantastic in the movie. So, mm-hmm. so you have all these people. I knew that it was taking place in some dangerous quote-unquote foreign country and i knew that something bad happened but that's about it they don't really show you a lot in the short trailer and i think that's very effective because i i know y'all have talked about it before and i i am a stickler for how much i hate trailers that give too much away i'm so sick of seeing a three-minute trailer before a movie where it lays out the entire plot of the movie I don't want to see scenes from the last five minutes of a film before I see the film. So it sounds like this trailer, because I've seen this trailer. I feel like I've seen the. I just happen to see the bunch because it looks captivating, right? But you're saying that the trailer doesn't even give off half the plot. Oh, not at all. You would never be able to figure out the plot of this movie just from watching the trailer. That's a well put together trailer. That's that's absolutely right. I, my favorite trailer of all time is the Shining trailer with the blood Oof. elevator. Yeah, because it's it's a striking image, and it makes you want to know more. That's it. That's all. That's all you need for a trailer. Have you seen the TV trailer for The Shining? I don't it's, know. It freaks. I'll send it to you later. It's also okay. just a bunch of stills. It terrifying, but that's a whole other story. I've seen the I've seen the Shining trailer where they made it look like it was going to be like a father son mm-hmm. like oh, coming of age story. The far <laughs> away song, I think, in the background yeah. by Anya. Oh yes. no no no! It I I no it uses the Salisbury Hill. Salisbury Hill yeah. by Peter Gabriel. That's oh, a great trailer. That was one of the first ones I ever that. saw of yeah. that trend because there was a while because people were doing the. 
the reworks of the trailers for a lot of films. Like I've never seen Mary Scary Poppins. Mary. That one's great. It's so creepy. Yeah. Um, the Shining's the best one. Yeah. All right, but absolutely. for Infinity Pool, because Alexander Skarsgård's on a roll right now. He just he mm-hmm. wrapped up a terrific run on Succession. He was in allegedly a CBS All Access show called uh, Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> I do love Skarsgård though. How how is he in Infinity Pool? Does he play an American in Infinity Pool? Does he have to put on an accent? What's going on here in the movie? He does play an American. Oh, His accent is very believable. He so I saw this with Erica. I think it was just the two of us. And she always mixes up Alexander and Bill, but she al- mm. also mixes up who their dad, Stellan, is, and also Bill's, or uh, not Bill, was it Peter Sarsgaard? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was the confusion for me for a long time. Because right. Peter Sarsgaard looks like he could be a Sarsgaard. He does. That's, yeah, it's, kinda. it's a nightmare. Also, just side note, one of the movies I almost chose was Orphan. And yes. Peter Sarsgaard is so bad in that movie, and I don't understand why. I, I think because he's, he's a good actor, but oh my god, his character and the way he portrays that character in that movie is such shit. You know, this with not to get this, <laughs> God forbid the Halloween's going on the sidetrack here, but I, I think the thing with his performance in Orphans, I don't quite know if he realized, and I say this with affection because I do like Orphan, like what high trash he was in. Oh, probably Whereas not. everybody else was kind of in on the joke, I felt like. Even Absolutely. People, even people playing it straight were like, no, this is ridiculous right, in all the best ways. You know? Orphan is camp. It's yes. camp. Yeah. I don't think but he it, realized that 100%. No. I don't think he got that. Anyway, but Alexander anyway, Skarsgård in Infinity Pool. So Erica was like, I don't know. I, I think I think I like Bill more. And then, you know... Alexander shows up in like one of the first scenes and she's like, is that him? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, Oh daddy. (laughs) I started laughing so hard because she doesn't talk like that. She does not talk like that ever. And it just, it cracked me up, but yeah, no, he's hot as hell. I've had a huge crush on him since the first season of true blood when he was Eric North. Oh my God. Yes. Wait, what's his last name on that show? Eric Northman. Which is funny because he's I in say. The Northman yeah, the North by Robert Eggers, we, which I have with, not seen. I have yes. not seen that one either. I, we, we need to get Jen on here because she would be losing her say. mind. Because we can't go an episode of Losers Club without her going off on, on Alexander Skarsgård. So. Oh, I know. No, no, no. Je, Jen and I have talked about yeah. him in DMs. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, when we were doing the stand I'm sure coverage. He's, he's doing just fine now. Yeah. Now yeah. He's, we, we yeah. finally kept, nobody's talking about Alexander Skarsgård. Thank God we've got these text stories well, I, going. I do need to check in with Jen because now that Succession's over, I don't know what she's doing for her weekly, uh, you know, she was getting weekly Skarsgård for a while. It was almost oh, like a, yeah. a flashes to the, the stand, which he may or may not have been in. <laughs> He popped up on some other TV shows recently, too, so he might be... I feel like he was actually on Atlanta's last season. I'm not kidding. He, he keeps showing up on stuff that I enjoy, so he'll be he, just fine. He's very versatile as an actor. I I have never seen him in something where I didn't find his performance compelling. Yes. And I think Infinity Pool is definitely no exception to that. He goes through so many big emotional beats Mm. and he plays all of them with this deep sincerity where you know if he's having a good time you're having a good time with him he's he's very much our protagonist we are along for the ride with him 
but there are certain things that he doesn't know that he finds out later and they're just as shocking to the audience as they are to him. So if you're able to connect with his character, which at times can be difficult because he does make some decisions that are questionable. Sounds like a Cronenberg movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, so that's, that's the other thing, but besides him being fantastic and honestly, all the performances are fantastic. Brandon really has Possessor is not a funny movie. It is not a fun movie. <laughs> it didn't look it like is it. Yeah. dark as fuck. Infinity Pool has such a great sense of humor while also being dark and disturbing and gross at times. And that to me is what I love about David Cronenberg. And, mm. and and so I feel like with his second outing now, Brandon has really picked that up from his dad. But it doesn't feel like a ripoff. It doesn't even feel like an homage. It feels like kind of a familial trait in the best way that, you know, these these two people have similar senses of humor and understand, excuse me, how to undercut well no not even undercut how to complement drama and suspense and horror with humor well i know david does that that. doesn't feel out of place yeah he does that really well for sure does does a lot of the sense of humor come from mia goth's character i'm assuming or the dark sense of humor or there there is some dark humor that comes from her but she plays this doesn't really spoil anything but she plays unhinged so well oh yes but very differently than she does in Pearl. Mm. It, it's it's such a dramatically different performance, but just as powerful. I feel like she was stuck in supporting roles for so long, and it wasn't really until Ty- I mean, I think she, well, she was in Cure for Wellness, but I think I still haven't seen that. Something there. I have not seen. She was still like the fifth lead. She was like she wasn't the Dakota Johnson part. You know what I mean? I have not seen the new Suspiria, and I still haven't seen a cure for wellness. Yeah, Uh, and I'm polarizing. I like um, I like Gore Verbinski too, so I I should I should watch it. But um, yeah, I I, it's kind of wild when you think of her run recently. Just to have to do Pearl X, Infinity Pool, then going back to Maxine. I mean, (laughs) she's gonna need to do like a. Uh, I mean, they don't exist anymore, but like a fun, uh, I don't know, like a Harry Met Sally rom-com style thing, <laughs> just to really just flip it on its head a little bit, just to be like, oh, look at her. She's oh, interesting. You know, she's, the, she's working I think in her and Skarsgård at this point should do a romantic comedy, for God's yeah. sakes. They, yeah, like like I would watch girl. the hell out of that. <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah. I would. She's got it. I think she's got something. And, and Skarsgård, because I think, to be fair, I think when Skarsgård was on True Blood initially, I just thought, oh, here's some like hunk. You know what I mean? Here's some hunk, hunky vampire. But no, he, oh, yeah. he has proven himself to be a fantastic actor for sure. So we have a, I, I promise I will eventually see this one. I promise. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I'll say about Infinity Pool is that just everything about the production is so good. The cinematography is incredible. The score is incredible. The editing choices that they make. I, I did not get to see the extended version, so I missed a couple things, but... Even in the theatrical release, the everything is so well put together, and the score is fantastic. Do you know who does the score for this one? I will look that up. I believe it's Tim Hecker, right? Because uh, that's usually his go-to. Yeah. Who's amazing, just absolutely amazing. Because when I used in my 
old days of back when I, in my time, when I was writing music reviews, I just remember Tim Hecker was certainly an artist that I would go to a bunch, but. um, Yep. Yeah. It's Tim Hecker, uh, who has been doing like ambient and drone and various other electronic tinged music for, how long has he been around now? Oh, for a while. More than 20 years? 15, 20 years. Over 20 years at this point, yeah. 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 You think so, over 20 years? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, let me look. We've got to find this information (laughs) before we move on. I mean, I've got to find out. Yes, yes. His first single, no. His first album was 2001, so. Wow, it's been 22 years. Yeah, is that crazy? Happy anniversary. Yeah. I will say, there is a Halloween's Dominion here. Thomas Thomas Kretschmann is in Infinity Pool, I I'm a huge fan of this guy. I'm I want to I want to praise him just for a bit. I, granted, I haven't seen Infinity Pool, so I don't know how, you know how Thomas is in this, but I love this guy. He was in 2005's King Kong. He's the captain in it, and he's also going to be in Indiana Jones: Dial of Destiny. So when I he was actually one of the castings that I saw that was like that is a perfect actor to join the Indiana Jones franchise because not a not a lot of people know who he is, but he's got a recognizable face or at least mildly recognizable face. And he's a killer character actor, so very interested to see what he's doing. And that actually hooks me into this movie even more because I. Well, I Mike, I'm glad you brought it up because uh, for anybody out there listening, they should know that on our Patreon.com backslash Halloweenies pod <laughs> at the end of June, we'll be heading back to Indiana Jones for our Fortune and Glory show, in which we discuss Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which of course leads up to our July episode on Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So. Save the best two for last. Now. We save the, the the best two for last. Uh, I I rewatched the the first three recently and fantastic. it was so much fun. Yeah. I agree. I've got to watch the fourth one for my second time ever in about a week or so. So I'm looking forward to that. But we got to move on here because I've got to talk about a movie. It came out four months ago, but it feels like it came out 18 years ago at this I point. Know. And that really is uh, that is the film Sick. Which I believe premiered on Peacock. Actually, it was at some film festivals, but premiered on Peacock. Have either of you seen Sick? Yes, I fucking loved it. Same. Okay, good. Let's sure. talk about this then. Okay, now this is directed by John Hyams, big fan. You may know his father, Peter. You know, a journeyman director, Peter Hyams. Look him up. Done a lot of stuff. But John Hyams did a couple of the Universal Soldier movies that were kind of well regarded, even though they were direct to video slash streaming. But he's really well known for his action. And I say all that to say this is I think that he's an extremely good director of action and horror. And I think that the action in Sick actually surpasses what he did with the film Alone, Love which came out movie. a couple of years ago. I think it's yeah. on Hulu. I think it was a Hulu movie. Yeah. And actually has a similar star in that. Mark uh, Menchaca is in that. But I, I think for me, why I think that Alone is ultimately more successful than Sick is it's because even though Sick is only 83 minutes, it feels it felt a little long. Like I feel like the it loses steam in the final act. Now, I mean, I know you enjoyed it, but do you feel at any point it, it kind of started to – do you think the first half was better than the second half? Let me ask you that question. No, I – it had me kind of riveted the whole time. Hmm. And I, you know, I definitely credit that to co-writer Kevin Williamson. There we go. That's a big – yes. He, yeah, he really – in my opinion, he really knows how to keep the action going. You know, mm. you look you look at the first two screen movies, especially, you look at something like The Faculty. None of those movies get bogged down at any point. 
I agree. And and sick didn't get bogged down for me either. There there are a lot of things that come to light as the movie goes on, and I think the way they're revealed is really effective. And so by the end, you're just like, okay, I have all the information. What the fuck is going to happen? Mm. Yeah, it's got a great cast, and I don't want. I think well, I mean, they were announced in the movie, so I can say who's in the movie. But it's, you know, Mark Mancheck, who I mentioned, Jane Abs is also in this. The I Idol. Her. From The Idol. The <laughs> Idol. That's it. No, no I'm just joking. <laughs> I just noticed that Mark Mancheck's name is Jason, and his mother, Jane Adams, is Pamela. Oh, that's I did not cool. really realize that before until that's this cute. very moment in time. But Mike, you, you want to say something about Sick yeah, as well? Yeah, so I, I see what you're saying with the third act, because one of the issues I have with Williamson sometimes, and it's not even so much an issue, issue as it is just an observation, and, and at that point you just kind of expect it, it's the whole, and he does this with every one of his screenplays. It's that the third act has to have someone explain everything that happened. And mm. Scream does it, obviously to great effect. Scream 2 does it. I think it's great to effect. Some people you know, disagreed about that. But then and also in the faculty, when you, um, you know, Mary Beth is, or, I'm going to spoil a 25 year old movie. Uh, I think we can spoil it. I think you're okay. I think we're okay. When she's kind of walking around. You have to listen to a faculty episode. Exactly. Right. I was like, we have an episode on this. Yeah, exactly. We're good. So, literally, the the third, and I, again, I don't have a problem with it. It's just one of the expectations of his work. It's like by the time you get to third act, the person in the shadows is going to come out and they're going to explain everything that happened. And in this one, I do think that the explanation. I thought it was fun just because, you know, in terms of COVID and everything else that's going on, sure, it makes sense. But, like, I, I do think that it was a little belabored compared mm. to what his other reveals tend to be. Having said that, I still was riveted just because it is so short. And I will say, unlike his former co-conspirator or colleague, partner in crime, the late Wes Craven... I don't feel it leans too much on the action beats in a way that Craven does where I do take a lot of uh, issue with some of those, those final acts. Like I'm notorious on this podcast, even saying that the final act of nightmare on Elm street, I don't really like a lot because I think it becomes home alone. And that is an expectation I have of Wes Craven's work. I'm like, oh, all right, well, we're in the third act. What's the action scene going to be? Whereas in this one, I do think it was sharp enough. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I no just, pun intended. Yeah, right. Seriously, <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know. I was, I was kind of blown. I'm, I'm just a sucker for these type of movies. Like, like a really just a a bottled story where it's just someone that's kind of stuck away. Whether it's like alone, where they're in the forest, or in this case, a random Airbnb in the middle of nowhere. I love those type of stories. Well, you I could, buried the lead here because the big draw of this movie. It's called Sick, and it takes place, I the, guess, in like the spring of 2020. Yeah. Like in the onset of the pandemic, yeah. which permeates yeah. throughout the movie and does add something to that. And I want to present that because I want to ask you this question. I was like, I would have been mentally completely unable to watch this movie a couple years ago. It would have been Absolutely. the last movie I wanted to see. And, but I think now I'm kind of like, I can go back a couple years ago and revisit that. But I didn't know if, but you said you kind of agree with that too, man. Like would that, it would have been impossible to watch two, three years ago. Oh yeah. So <sighs> Like with Host that Rob Savage did, you know, that was like early in the pandemic that he did that. And then what, it came out that fall or something? It was not that long. It was was a quick movie to make, obviously. Right. um, So the the turnaround on that was pretty quick. So we were still very much in the thick of the pandemic at that point, as opposed to this, which came out, 
you know, about three years after the pandemic had started. And I think at that point, we had all settled into kind of accepting the quote unquote new normal and being able to watch things without them being as traumatizing. I think so too. You know, I think, you know, it's obviously a lot of mask wearing. Like I was getting like flashbacks when I was like wiping down the countertops and things like that. And just, I, I was yeah. going back to like, there's no way I could have watched this movie no. a couple of years ago, but I'm happy it came out now. Mike, uh, where do you stand on that? Do you think you would have been able to handle this one? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I take it back. No, I take it back because you, I couldn't do this, but in the losers club, I think it was like April or May of 2020. Oh, it was you, literally you went the back next and week. Revisited the stand, the, the stand miniseries, yeah. which yeah, I thought Randall. the last thing I wanted to watch was that. Yeah, it was. It was definitely pulling teeth for a couple of people to to get on those episodes. Although, you know, <laughs> you ever want to hear just me just absolutely obliterated on on a podcast? It's. I think I was about halfway into a Jameson bottle in the third episode for that one, but. No free it gets plugs, a little yeah. crazy. It gets it gets crazy on the in those rewatches. So we, that in that part it was fun also because we were bored. I think distance is really important for these type of events. Like I think about nine mm. eleven, like mm. the movies that came out in the aftermath of nine eleven. Those that had a really close proximity to it, just not good. It just wasn't good because most of them were a lot. First off, you know, using the context of that event, we were still in that like you know Central Park, everyone together. Let's all sing. You know. Sha la 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 like we're all happy and we're Kiss united. the girl from from Little Mermaid? <laughs> no, 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 no. But <laughs> but everyone was in, in a different the, mindset. That was the melody I thought you were and saying I, there. <laughs> well, I, I meant like everyone was in, in in a different mindset. At least uh, you know, especially when it comes to nationalism and stuff. And so I think a lot of the movies around that time that were coming out immediately after that were trying to reflect that and in. in because of that, I don't think they age that well because just because I think that it kind of clouds a lot of the the severity and the drama mm-hmm. that actually happened in that. But then you get a movie in 2006, like 1993, which to me is yeah. the best and really the only 9-11 movie I'd really uh, point to at this point. Maybe, you know, what is it? Zero, Dark Thirty or something like that. But I guess that is less more, that's more of a, a war that's, movie than anything. That's a, that's an aftermath. Yeah. But again, yeah. that has the distance to be able to kind of reconcile with it. Now, granted, this came out like... <laughs> Went like two or three years well, of the pandemic. Well, I think the interesting thing about this movie, and this isn't a spoiler, is that to your point, Mike, it's not necessarily commenting on COVID as so much as it's commenting on how we all behaved yeah. in the spring summer of 2020. Yeah. And I yeah, think that's absolutely. why it works too, right? Because you kind of look back in some ways and say, whoops, or yeah. we should have done that, or I guess we didn't have to do that, you know? Man, yeah. sorry, go ahead. But. And you said you you mentioned Kevin Williams in May, and I mean this really is in a lot of ways it's like Scream without the Scream mask. Like you could have you could have made a Scream movie set during COVID. I mean that you could have done it, and this would have been, I guess, as close as you would get to that with Kevin Williams. And there's still a lot of the Scream beats in here for a reason because he's the guy that created the, the franchise. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I I think he also does some different things that you would never see in a Scream franchise. And, Especially after the opening. In, in a Scream entry yeah. franchise. Wow. In an entry in the Scream <laughs> franchise. Jesus fucking Christ. Anyway, I think he does things differently enough that it doesn't feel like a Scream knockoff. It mm-hmm. doesn't yep. feel like he's repeating himself. It feels like he's exploring options that he wouldn't have been able to if this was a Scream movie. And... I, as someone who really, really loves both Five Cream and Scray Six M, or I, 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 I can't Stray remember. Avi? Yeah, Scray Avi. Yeah, 
So Scream. I, I genuinely love both of those movies. Like those are both on par with one and two for me. I know. And you were on Twitter saying, fuck you, Kevin Williamson, stay away from Scream. We don't want you back. That's what I heard. That's what I remember, at least. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know me. I'm so confrontational. It was awful, I thought. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, we didn't want to bring that up on the podcast, but go ahead. Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> anyway, I, I think that he does different things in mm-hmm. Sick, and I really enjoyed that. And the tension especially you know there's a part where some of the characters are like sneaking around and yes. they know that that someone's in the house that was fucking terrifying yeah, i agree it's fucking terrifying especially you know i've i spent a lot of time alone you know when when people were finally starting to go out again and stuff i was getting out of my marriage and Sarah was like alternating weeks at her parents and then at home. So I was spending a lot of time by myself and it was kind of giving me flashbacks to that where Mm. I was like, what the fuck would I do if someone broke into where I was and there wasn't anyone else there? I mean, I've, I've made jokes that if I was in a horror movie, I'd probably be the first person to die because while I am smart and I am very resourceful, I am way too protective of other people. So I would be the first person to like sacrifice myself to save other people. But if I'm alone, I'm just like, fuck. Now, <laughs> I'm if dead. I'm alone, I'm the first person and the op- before the opening credits hit. That's me. That's, that's oh, who yeah. I would be. Because I'd be also the person that would refuse to accept that anything is possibly wrong until there's... <laughs> It's just in my face, and I can't refuse it. Yeah. But, I mean, speaking of, like, the protagonist, right? The protagonist of this movie is Gideon Adlon, who, the daughter, of course, of Pamela Adlon. Love but it. Gideon Adlon is really good in this, and she's also really good in blockers. But I haven't seen her in anything else. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm not sure if the pandemic kind of halted her plans, but I think she's a really good young actor, and I'm curious to see what she does next. Well, we know the pandemic is a certain evil, but I would say that there's another evil out there, an antichrist even, mm. that, that, that there, there's some certain studio heads out, that are out there that don't allow original movie making anymore, which is probably why a lot of these young talents uh, only have the options to either do television or, let me think, uh, another Marvel movie or something like that. So I do oh, think yeah, that... Maybe she'll pop up in, you know... What's the next like uh, a secret know. universe season yeah. three or some shit? Or God bless them all. <laughs> exactly, I mean, they're, so they're I, doing just fine in Atlanta because she's done a lot of voice work. So I think that's okay. what she's mostly done is that you know she was in a couple of uh, webisodes and stuff like that and everything. But yeah, she's great. I mean, I I think she'll be fine though. <laughs> you know? I'm not seeing her praying like, for getting. That I know, no, sure she's gonna I, be all right. Yeah, yeah, but no, I, I think she's. I thought she's really solid in this. I, I will say the thing that. That's interesting about the new slashers these days is that, to your point, May, like I, when I watch them, I'm, I am like more so than ever thinking about what I would do. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the stakes and just the blunt like violence of slashers, it's like we have gone back to like the early 80s where they are, they do feel violent and dangerous again. Like, I think oh, of, absolutely like the Dylan Minnette scene in Scream, like Five Cream, oh, five uh, that haunts yeah. me. Like, that's like yeah, my worst absolutely. nightmare because I, you know, just being alone and all that other stuff. And then just the way the knife comes in, I think we miss out, especially when you watch the original Scream movies. Not to say they aren't violent, they are violent. I mean, that opening is incredibly violent in the first one, but. That would have been cut 25 years ago. Yeah, but like there's no, you don't think about what the knife does to you. 
And I right. think these new slashers really just hammer that fact in that like this is probably worse than getting shot like honestly oh like, absolutely the some of the stuff that happens in scream six i mean especially with that ladder scene yeah that yeah. oh my god my i i've watched it three or four times now and every time my stomach is just like you know besides the fact that my gallbladder needs to come out my stomach <laughs> is just like Oh no, like that is, it's so visceral. I have such a visceral reaction to the violence in, in these modern slashers. Cause you're right. It, it is hearkening back to the eighties and I'm glad that while, you know, they are still using CGI blood, there doesn't seem to be an over-reliance on it in a lot of these. So you're still getting some good practical stuff. Technology is getting better now where the fact, I think they also realize, and you can do this especially in horror movies because a lot of it is in the dark. It's easier to cover up CGI blood when it's in the shadows, right? It's just, it's just, it's not like you're watching live for your die hard and it's just, it's (laughs) egregiously in the sun in the sunshine and, I tried, to re- I tried to rewatch that a couple years ago, and Jesus fucking Christ, did they ruin John McClane as a character? Oh, if yeah. you think that's bad, you should see Good Day to Die Hard, which is uh, one of the worst no, movies I've ever made. It. No, thank you. Punishing. I, I'll, I'll pass. You mean the prequel I, to I'd rather get, I would rather fall. You know, I'd rather <laughs> fall off a ladder onto a dumpster. That's what I'd rather do. <laughs> like somebody in Stream 6 absolutely does. All right, look, we got to yep. move on to our next. Now, we're going to go, speaking of going back in time to the 80s, Mike Rothman, we're going to be going back in time to the 80s. Oh, yeah. For uh, my choice of movie I watched for the first time, and you can find this currently if you're listening in, what is this, June 2023? I'm pretty sure it's still on the Criterion Channel in their erotic thrillers collection. It's a little film called Crimes of Passion. came out in 1984, directed by Ken Russell. Now, Ken Russell... For you horror heads out there, maybe for a little, a little movie called The Devils, maybe for a little, a little movie called Altered States with William Hurt, uh, Layer of the White Worm, Amanda Donahue, and the very young Hugh Grant, Hugh Grant. And, and very young uh, Peter Capaldi, almost unrecognizable Peter Capaldi. He's very good great movies. in that. Yeah, he's really funny in that movie. Tommy, can you hear me? Yeah. And Tommy, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Tommy as well. Yeah. Horrifying in some ways, to be honest with you. But... This movie stars Kathleen Turner, Anthony Perkins, and John Lachlan, who I'll be talking about in a second. Oh, yeah. Jesus. I'll read you the plot for this movie, because <laughs> this is not like a well-known movie. This is not a well-known movie. But it's the plot is this. Sit down and grab a cocoa, and here, here we go. Uh, Bobby owns a gadget store by day and takes surveillance jobs by night. A businessman hires him to spy on Joanna, a fashion designer suspected of committing white-collar crimes. Bobby finds that Joanna's transgressions aren't business-related. Instead, she spends her evenings as a prostitute specializing in fetishes. Intrigued, Bobby begins to woo her, but their relationship is complicated by Shane, a deviant priest who's stalking Joanna. Sounds like a hit to me, in <laughs> my humble opinion. So, Mike, you actually, May, you've not seen this one, correct? I have not, but okay. I want to watch it it's now, because so I, well, I am in general a fan of Ken Russell and... Yeah. Yeah, we'll get it ready for this discussion. Sounds really cool, uh, Mike. You saw it. Now you yeah. said you really liked it a lot. So I liked I'm it. Sure these, so go ahead. You can yeah. speak on a little bit. Sure. It, it's, I it's, so I watched it on. I could not believe it was available on here. Pluto TV. Wow, that now, is talk a about testament. Attention and half. <laughs> I know. Was there commercial? Re- there tunes? was. But the thing is, is that it, it was more astounding to me that the content of this movie was on Pluto TV. Oh, I know. Like that's just wild. What's also crazy to me 
because I was watching this and I was like, God, this feels so much like body double in so many ways. Like this screams like body double. Mm -hmm. And here's the wildest thing that I just found out. This is a real deep impact Armageddon situation here. <laughs> Almost a literal situation. So Crimes of Passion came out October 19th, 1984. Do you mm -hmm. know when Body Double came out? I'm going to guess November 1984. O closer. October 26, 1984. What? It is crazy because you watch these two movies and both of them are incredibly surreal. Incredibly surreal. This far more than Body Double. But Body Double literally has a fucking Frankie goes to Hollywood music video wedged in between, you know, all the action that's going on. And then it right. happens to do with the movie. This film is, is, is far more surreal, but it's on the same wavelength. And you also have a lead that you could debate is work works for this movie or not, <laughs> which is the same thing with body double. And, and <laughs> well, then you also, yeah. yeah, this is, this is the thing. Cause I actually do like, what's his name? Craig. Um, we always make fun of him. Craig. Wasson. Oh, Craig Wasson. I do like Craig Wasson, but yeah. he, you could have, that, if that had like William Hurt or something like that in there, which he was in Body Heat. Body Heat. Uh, or not by William Hurt. Uh, well, this no, is, William okay, because yeah. here's the thing, yeah. Mike, I, I did not ultimately like this movie. I, I, as much as I like other Ken Russell movies, I feel like the problem is with the lead. And not only the lead, it it's yeah. with that storyline, which is very suburban. I'm not getting off my wife. Maybe I'm repressed. I want to, you know, have an adventure. That's, Look, I love themes like that, but I don't think Ken Russell has got as good of a hold on that story than he does with the May. I hope you're sitting down with the Joanna prostitute by night who is being stalked after by this priest who has a silver knife dildo and um, is Wait, like a, what? It's, it's yeah. a sweating insane and I think pretty great in this movie, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony, sorry, Perkins. Anthony Perkins. <laughs> Anthony Perkins. Oh my I, God, I wish it was funny. Hopkins. So I, I need to watch they, this yeah. immediately. Look, I will say this though. It's absolutely fascinating to watch because you always hear about these movies that are controversial 40, 50 years ago, and then you watch them and you think, oh, that would, that's nothing. No, I still think this movie is extremely <laughs> troubling. Is. You know, yeah. I think um, it would still have problems getting released today. And I say that to its credit because, again, even if I don't like a Ken Russell movie, I, I always admire like the freedom in which he acted. I mean, he was he was going to make his movies, and if people had a problem with it, they either wouldn't come out or there'd be a lot of problems with him <laughs> in the process. Right. He was never one to to roll over. But the problem again with is is the suburban angle that really starts to dominate the, the second half of this. And the actor is John Lachlan, who I, maybe he showed up in a Quantum Leap episode ten years later. He's a TV know. guy. Because I, I looked at yeah. it and I was like, how the hell is this? But yeah. here's the problem, and it, what made it even more frustrating, is that his best friend in this movie is played by Bruce oh, yeah. Davison. Who's amazing. Yeah. And I'm like, why isn't Bruce Davison playing this role of Bobby? Yeah. yeah it's that, a better movie. That sounds like a perfect role for him, too. It, it would have been. I oh, think especially, it really would have been. Like, have y'all seen the, the Lathe of Heaven with him? No, no I've not seen this one. Oh my God! Okay, so, wait. Is there, I'm sorry. Is there is there a silver knife dildo in this as well? Uh, no, no, there's not. Although there is a dildo switchblade in Knife and Heart. I don't know if you've watched that. Oh no, I know that one. Yeah, that's gonna oh, be. We have to make a uh, Justin. You have to watch that movie. It is so fucking good. And the score was done by Jan Gonzalez, aka M eighty three. 
MA3, who Mike Rodman interviewed many years ago for yeah, an, an Apple times. store in Chicago. His, Am I right? His brother is who wrote and directed Knife and Heart. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Which is why he did the score. But yeah, that, that movie is also surreal, has a Switchblade dildo, and is I, – I loved it. I, Ton, tons I of bisexual lighting that in that movie. <laughs> oh, tons of bisexual lighting, like – Almost everyone, almost every single character in that movie is queer, yeah. and it's just, oh, it's so good. Oh, so well, you, you can look at the thing about. Well, speaking of that, I mean, Anthony Perkins in this. If you watch the movie, I don't want to spoil too much, but it, it literally becomes like a psychopastiche and yeah. it's in your face about Interesting. it. Interesting. But I will say, when you're watching, if you look at it through the lens of imagine if it's 1964. And Norman Bates was released really early after being, you know, arrested in Psycho, and was left to his own devices and left uh, California and found religion, and like still lost his mind. That's what I kind of looked at this priest character. Could be as. a cool Psycho three. Really. You're right. Yeah, it could have been. If you look, it's yeah. like it's like the uh, the Hallow Green of the Psycho franchise would be Crimes of Passion. You know, I, I got to get this go. out. I got to get this out because yeah. you just mentioned the lead and you're talking mm. about how if, you know, if Bruce had been the lead instead, yeah. you want to know who else, you know, want to know who auditioned for this movie and they turned am down. I gonna, am I going to be frustrated? Oh, very they, frustrated. It was supposed to be. So Patrick Swayze auditioned for this would be, oh my God. who would have been amazing. <laughs> and then here's another one who would have been even just, I can't even imagine how good because he's so great in working girl. Alec Baldwin. Yeah, he, I could have absolutely wow. seen him in this role. Yeah, yeah, yeah young Alec Baldwin, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And Jeff Bridges read the script, but wanted to, uh, and, but he wanted to do the role of, uh, and he wanted to do the role of Grady, but they couldn't afford him. And Bridges huh. would have just absolutely t- taken this to another level because I would yeah. buy Bridges in this movie. He's because he, you need a guy that's grounded. I the thing is, is I don't mind the suburban storyline because I like where it goes because it actually does push the envelope a little bit. I was so expecting it to go the this one route and I was going to roll my eyes and I was like, God damn it. But it doesn't. And it goes a different mm. way. And it's very interesting in that, that respect. But I just, for me, I agree with the psycho thing. Cause I was rolling my eyes with this and I, ca- I actually couldn't believe that Anthony Perkins agreed to some of that because it was just like, this seems so on the nose. Yeah. In a way that was, was this before or after psycho two, which uh, you were originally oh no, going to do for this episode. After. Yeah. It was a year okay. after. Yeah. Yeah. So. You were originally going to do that for this episode, right? Justin. Uh, no, I I made a mistake because I was going to do this, and I was thinking about Psycho Two. That's yeah. what I was because oh, we just watched it. Yeah, I've seen that a million I, times. Yeah, I so the first time I watched Psycho Two, I watched it with riff tracks, which was oh no, very, no, 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 no. It was it was very fun. And it was very funny, but the whole time I was like, wait, this movie's actually good. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So so then I watched it again without riff tracks, and I was like, oh yeah, this movie's good. That's the same thing that happened to me with Tourist Trap. Because I originally oh, watched that with Riff Tracks, and then I went back and watched it without. I was like, oh, no, this is a good fucking movie. You know oh. this? I think the Charles Band, I read this autobiography, not to go off on another tangent. I think he gave his rights to Riff Tracks. Yeah, because, yeah, because they've done Puppet so Master, many. Yeah, but don't quote me on that. It just seems like a coincidence. But here's, here's my ultimate criticism, and Mike, maybe you'll agree with this, is yeah. it, it goes back to the Twin Peaks of it all and the David Lynch of it all. So I feel like Lynch handles the themes of domesticity versus like the dark nightlife of the city much better in Blue Velvet, in Twin Peaks, than Russell is able to do with with Crimes of Passion. Like You're still interested, no matter where you are, in Twin Peaks or Blue Velvet, but I'm 
infinitely more interested in like this weird depravity he's trying to unravel than I am with the Andy Potts Bobby storyline. Yeah, that's that's my that's my problem. You, with you spend movie. way too much time in the suburbs when you don't really need to. Yeah, I agree, and it's also just because again, John Laughlin is just not compelling it the slightest, and obviously Hollywood agreed with us. Well, so. and the fact, honestly, <laughs> the fact that I haven't even talked about Kathleen Turner is I know problem because she gets you, you start with her, you figure it's her movie. And then she is totally gets overshadowed by this John Lachlan guy. No, it's no, fucking God wild. bless him. God bless him. But, you know, it's a problem. That's all I got to say about that. There are some, I'll say some of the best performances I've seen from her in this movie. Just, there's some sequences in this. I don't want to spoil it, but it's very, epi- her story is very episodic. Yes. And some of the episodes, especially one that actually does take place in the suburbs, I was kind of shocked that the movie went there and it's mm. not even a, a, a controversial scene or anything. It's just actually a really heartfelt scene. And, um, and I was just kind of like, wow, that this movie has a weird depth to it. But then all of a sudden, but then you're back in the, the chaos of it all. And all of a sudden, you know, Perkins is, you know, running around with candles and, and then you're, you know, you got <laughs> John Laughlin. It's fucking insane. But this, the thing you're is, you're selling it pretty bored. well on accident though. It sounds great. Because you're, you're never really, sounds great. <laughs> I'm never really bored watching this movie. Like even even insane and even as drawn out the suburb stuff is, it's still like it feels very John Watersy in a way. Like I, I think about the bar. There's a barbecue scene, and I swear to God, yes. I feel like David Wayne must have seen that scene and just his entire career was built on it. Because it's, it, <laughs> I just, feel like, like you said, Mike. I feel like John Waters or Lynch handles that scene. Oh, easily, and and, and shoots that scene. And let's get to film nerdy. God forbid yeah. we do that on this podcast. But he, they handle that scene much yeah. better than Russell does here. One more yeah. note I gotta say about this though: cinematography by Dick Bush. Fitting <laughs> um, for the no movie. joke. I thought it was a pseudonym. Absolutely not. Born Richard Henry Bush. I will never understand why anyone named Richard would want I, to be called incredible Dick. Stuff. I, I had a friend named no um, I had a friend named Michael Hunt, but he went by Brandon, and you can understand why. We'll move on from that. Yeah. It, but no, Dick Bush was a frequent Ken Russell collaborator. Worked on a number of Hammer films in the seventies and the cinematography for Sorcerer, which I will always shout oh, out. Really? So still never seen it. Oh, Ooh, good yeah. stuff. I so also his name is Dick Bush, and he was the cinematographer for Yanks. Wow. Unbelievable. Can you imagine that credit? <laughs> How's your resume look? Let's bury Yanks at the bottom. And oh. Take, take that however you want to. One of the big movies. Oh, wow, this is crazy. So he actually, he does a lot of very sexual, uh, sensual movies. Because yes. one of the, talk about a wild awakening for me, movie Switch, 1991. Blake which Edwards. I saw when it came out. And very confusing as a kid watching that movie. But I can't imagine, you must have been the only, what, Six-year-old? Year yeah, who went to go see... Hey, <laughs> let's go see Blake Edwards' Switch. Well, I'm sure that uh, went right look, over your head for half I, the time. I was able to rent any movie I wanted, and we had pretty much... I mean, I think we're pretty much far away from this. We had a black box, so I had every channel. So Sorry, statute limitations do not apply to black box owners. Well, so, I guess um, we're going arrested, so... You know. <laughs> you're on record. Okay, we've talked a lot about black boxes, obviously, but more importantly, for some reason, we talked a lot about Psycho too. Maybe it's because of uh, Anthony Perkins. But let's talk about a movie from the director of Psycho Two. You can't be that transition. Sorry. I know, Mike. What movie <laughs> do you want to talk about from 1981? 
Road games, which I teased earlier. You probably mm. forgot it now because we've gone in so many different tangents. Let's go back but... in time for a second here and talk about that. Let's address this. You had a nickname at the beginning of this episode, and you said your <laughs> name was Michael Road Games Rothman. So now the payoff, if you stuck with us for the last hour and two minutes, congratulations. It, it's, all, it's all happening for you. So go yeah. ahead, Mike. So you mentioned this movie, and I had actually seen it in passing, but I always got it mixed up. There's another movie that... I think stars Donald Pleasance or something like that. It felt, I can't remember what it was, but like um, I always got yes, mixed up. It's called, keep going. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking. It's like dead of. Yeah. Something like that. And anyway. Sorry, yeah. Dead of night or something like that. But anyway, I always got it mixed up. So I'd always wanted to watch it. And look, I work for bloody disgusting. I'm director of sales there. And I, you know, I shill as much as possible the screen box. So I'm, I'm, I, you know, I've been wanting to really try to promote screen box out there. And I was like, all right, well, I want to really get familiar with the catalog and I saw this on there, and I remember you had just mentioned it like a few weeks ago. And so I threw it on on Saturday night, and man, great, great rental, great Saturday night movie. Just like I, you know, we talked about the Hitcher last year on this this very podcast in the in Patreon, but it's in that same vein of just yes. a highway thriller that you're just so you're almost bummed out when it's over because you're just like you're buckled in pun intended and it's just a blast. Like I, I, and then the cast is great. Like I've never been a huge fan of Stacy Keach, but he's so really, yeah, I just, he's, he's always an asshole in movies. So I'm always like, That's ah, he's fair. good. He, I mean, he's always reliable in that sense, but he's like Tom Atkins level in this movie. Like he's, he's really enjoyable. He's really charismatic. He carries a lot of movies. He reminds me a lot of, this is a wild comp, but do you remember that a 24 movie lock? With uh, Tom Hardy, where yeah. he's like talking to himself in the car. Yep. Stacey Keach is kind of doing the same thing in this movie. And he's a trucker who ultimately gets pulled into this serial killer situation. Very similar to, I mean, obviously Joyride certainly uh, yeah. pulled from this. I'm sure Wolf Creek, which we've done plenty of bits uh, over text message about with Australian accents. Uh, I will not. I will try my very best. Not to be fair. The the leads of this movie are not Australian because the filmmakers wanted to sell it to American audiences. So yeah. I, I will be ev- evading and avoiding uh, doing an, a bad Australian accent. But anyway, Mike, you said you said the, the Joyride thing, right? I think Joyride meets Rear Window. Yeah. Easily, and that's that really sums it up. I think. Yeah. But something else about the movie I found to be fascinating. And before I go on. May, have you ever seen this? It was on Shudder for a while. I have not. I've okay. heard of it, and I would like to watch it. It's fun. But here's the thing that I like about it, and this is something that it succeeds at that I don't think Ken Russell succeeds with in Crimes of Passion, is the, is the tonal discrepancy. Because this movie has this incredibly, uh, I don't want to spoil too much, it's a very creepy introduction to the serial killer. Yeah. The way it's shot, right? But the rest of the movie, while it is, does have that kind of dark thriller or even almost in some ways light thriller uh, capability to it it's almost like a road comedy it is yeah but it works like like the tension when the tension comes back throughout it still managed to find that tension it doesn't lose it once the jokes begin and it's because of jamie lee curtis stacy keach and jamie lee curtis who are great together and she's great in this movie too um, what is it's so weird we've got a lot of duality in this episode because well, tom atkins is her partner in fog, in the fog where she plays a, she plays a hitchhiker in that too yeah, so weird which is very strange but yeah she sounds 
still like Lori in this. Granted, it was the same year that Halloween 2 came out, so mm-hmm. um, still got her thing. But throughout the whole time, she would be doing these lines, and they're, you know, it's an 80s movie, late 70s style movie, where, you know, the dialogue lingers. And so there's that quiet, the pregnant pauses when she talks, and I just would keep adding, like, you'll be sorry, like little lines from like Halloween. <laughs> and then finally, Sammy was just like, shut the fuck up. Like, and I was Please. just like, you know, um, but yeah, she, she's a blast <laughs> in this. And what's weird also, another duality. Mm. So the music is by Brian May, who yes, is the composer, but who is the composer for your uh, pick was uh, Rick, Waitman, Rick Wakeman. Rick Wakeman, yes. Which is, so we've got some classic rockers that have done the, compo- you know, the no, scores no, no, here. Uh, no, 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 that's, that's, that's the yes. other Brian May. There are two oh, Brian there? Mays. I know for a long yeah. time I thought it was the Queen guitarist. Oh, but it's bummer. Not, I thought it was I totally um, bummer. But, uh, let All me right. help you out here, though, because there's still a Halloween's connection because mm-hmm. what... Freddie, I just blew that. What Nightmare on Elm Street movie <laughs> did Brian May compose? Well, wasn't it two? No, no, no. It was it's no. much. Freddie's much dead. Later. The final. Freddie's dead. The final. Which, nightmare. Oh, How about yeah. that? Guess you know you're. You can't see this, listeners, but every time Justin signs on to Zoom, he still has Larry Drake on there, and let's just say Brian May <laughs> scored one of Larry Drake's biggest movies, which was Doctor uh, Doctor Giggles. May, may Larry Drake rest in peace, of course. Well, for another funny fact here. I, I, people say fun facts and funny fact. Do, have you ever laughed at a fact that was presented I've never that heard way? anyone say funny fact until you just said it. Well, fun I'll fact? tell you what. Yes. We're starting a trend here. Here's a funny fact for you. Okay. Jamie Lee Curtis is in this movie. And Richard Franklin, his next movie, was a sequel to a movie that Jamie Lee Curtis's mother was in. Weird. How about that? It's weird Psycho connections. Two. Oh, I got another Halloweenies Dominion. Oh, you know give, me who, give me a hint. I, I just saw this now, but do you know who they really wanted instead of Stacey Keach ahead of this? You'll never Halloweenies connection, you said? Yeah. Charles Cyphers. No, you got to think bigger. Think, think spinoff for us. Harrison Ford? No, you. Yeah. that would work too, but Sean Connery they wanted. What? Oh my God! Way too old. I'm sorry. Holy Sean shit. Connery playing a truck driver. I know. I know. Although, Maybe they no. saw Outlander. Outland. Outland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Oh, I gotta, gotta pick up her. Pick like, up on the side of the road. I can imagine uh, Bruce being like, you know, Stacy Keach is is way too old for Jamie Lee Curtis, but let's get Sean Connery, who's even more <laughs> ancient. Well, there was this. There's that scene where she's like, Jesus Christ, and he's like, That's for blasphemy. Um, That's for blasphemy. <laughs> this takes place, we should say, in Australia. I think you mm-hmm. maybe mentioned that. Yeah. But this is one of those movies where you can like feel the heat yeah. coming off the screen. Like it, it looks like it was 120 degrees in that truck and outside that truck. And it, yeah, it, it's just a fun, relatively short movie as well. I enjoyed it. Richard Franklin. It's funny. He, had a, he did this movie called Patrick, which is, I think it's, that's also been on Shutter for forever. I'm not a, not a great movie, but has one of the, uh, no joke, I'm not being hyperbolic, one of the greatest jump scares you'll ever see in a horror movie. I'm, I'm, it's, and maybe because the rest of the movie's not that good, that it's really startling, but it's there. He did, of course, Road Games, Psycho 2, and he did a movie I, I used to love growing up called Cloak and Dagger. Mm. <gasps> I fucking love Cloak yes. and Dagger, and that was written by Tom, Tom Holland. Holland oh. who also wrote Psycho 2. So it was like and the Holland Franklin connection. It's kind of wild. I didn't realize he died so young. He died in uh, the age of 58. Yeah, he died a lot. Did he die in 2007 or he died a long time ago? Very yeah. sad. 
Yeah. Not but, Tom Holland. No, Tom Holland's still doing just no, fine. I, I feel like Mike's interviewed him. Mike Mike Ruff interviews him like once every two years. So we'll yeah. have to get him back on eventually. Yeah. Not as maybe much we'll as Carpenter, about, but like, Holland's up there. Yeah. I think we're trying to get him again for maybe this summer somewhere, but we'll see. That'd be awesome. We'll see. I mean, it'd be it'd be a good thing for our child's play season. Yeah. yeah. Quiet, nice little career there for Tom Holland. It's pretty impressive. But um, anyway, so a good movie. Maybe you should check this movie out, but here's a movie that uh, you wanted to talk about that I unfortunately also have checked out. I think we might be in the same boat here. What 2009 movie did you want to discuss? The Collector. Everybody's favorite. Oh, oh my God. Okay, so I'm a big horror queers fan. I love Trace and Joe. I was on an episode of theirs at the beginning of the year, and... I've heard them talk a lot about how The Collector isn't that great, but The Collection, its sequel, is pretty good and has like one of the best opening sequences in a horror movie. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll watch The Collector and then I'll check out The Collection. And <laughs> when it when it started, I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I was agree. You know, I was I was in a really bad mood. I wasn't feeling well. I was like, I just want to put on something that I can focus on without caring about. And, you know, it starts out very interestingly. And then you got some honestly pretty good character work. You know, like sh- a short span of time, but you get some good character development you, you within that time. You definitely establish the family in question in, yeah. in a believable Succinct fashion. Yes, I agree. With that. I do agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. But also, our protagonist, Arkin. You, <laughs> Great name. You, I, I kept calling. Arkin must have been said a million times in this movie, which is even uh, seriously. But you're like, oh, okay. You know, I understand this guy. I I used to do physical labor all the time. You know, I worked with my dad. Sometimes jobs don't come in as frequently as you want. You don't get paid as much as you want. And he's really just, <laughs> I kept thinking of Tom Jane on Arrested Development. I just want my kids back. <laughs> All time, but all timer. Yeah. So, you know, you're like, Oh, okay. I, I feel for this guy. Like, yeah, he's going to rob this family, but they're fucking rich. I don't care. Like I want his family to be okay. You know? And, and this is all uh, like in the first 10 minutes. They, they, oh, they really yeah, are like, yeah. here's the plot. Here are the people. Here right. we go. Yeah. And, and he gets into the house and he's doing his thing. And then, and then things go sideways and it turns into like, I, I don't know, a saw movie on meth. Yeah. It, it, that, that's like, that, I feel like that's the best way I can describe it. Like the editing, a lot of the, cinematography choices it it feels like they're aping saw but not not in a good way because like i i like the saw movies a lot i I know i know y'all have your opinions on the different entries in the franchise overall i love them the the thing about the saw movies is that they're still no matter what you think about they're still like dumb fun to talk about at the very least right and you also have the and i once again say this with all praise and i mean this uh, with affection like the dumb dialogue that John Kramer says throughout the Saw movies—you you can like make you can just like, it's like it's like you just make them up off off the top of your head. But the problem is, is that a couple things: the protagonist of this movie doesn't say anything, so now you're you're robbed of the of the the bits. You're robbed right. of the memes. And I, I'm not. Wait, did I just, you mean I just antagonist? 
I should say the antagonist. The, pro- the protagonist, Arkin, by the way, if you don't know his name throughout the movie, terrific. We got it. You're helping out your family. But the collector in question, no dialogue. And I, it's explained what he does, but I, I still don't understand how he's going about doing it. Am I crazy? I don't, I don't understand. No, and it, it's like, okay, I don't really care about spoiling this movie. Yeah, because go ahead. Yeah, they'll a, us. it's it's not very good, and B, it's I mean, it's kind of obvious what's going on. But like, yeah, it is. you know, Ar- Arkin breaks into this house, and then he hears someone else, and it's obviously the collector. But like, he has set up so many fucking traps in this house yes. yeah. in like absolutely no time. How I did agree. Arkin not spring a trap when he was coming in? And it's just like it's so contrived and it's also like you said even though john kramer's dialogue is kind of ridiculous in the saw movies he's compelling yes and as the franchise goes on you find out more and more about him and by i think it was saw six i don't remember yeah that, by, that's the by, one with the um health insurance, insurance? Isn't it? yeah yeah, yeah. yeah by saw six i was like fuck yeah john creamer i am 100 percent on your side with all of this which you know is maybe a little disturbing but <laughs> uh you know erica and i watched all nine of the entries in the franchise over the course of like four days a couple months ago i did that a couple years so, ago yeah, for for sure. yeah yeah but it just i don't know the collector just a creepy asshole yeah he's you know and and like that there's there's a cat that gets hurt in the movie which was very upsetting to me i mean that you want to talk i mean really it's it goes oh, through yeah. the ringer. if you do not yeah. like animals dying in movies you cannot watch the collector and by the way yeah. if we haven't put you off enough i don't know what else we possibly have to do right but here's something i need to say though is that this movie and you'll 100 percent believe this it was originally written to be a saw prequel Yes, it was intended by its writers to be yep. a Saw prequel, but uh, I'm I'm assuming it was Berg Coles Hoffman, the producers of the Saw films. Yeah, and they said, said that's a wrap now. Because no. this movie was not distributed by Twisted Pictures, and I, and I know that for no. sure because every time I see that Twisted Pictures logo, you can't forget that you've seen the Twisted Pictures logo right. screwing into the screen. But you said the same thing about the cinematography, mate, and it just... It has that awful, we're running into the end of the decade, and we're still doing, like, Tony Scott's domino, green-yellow yeah, sheen. Uh, it just looks, it looks awful. I mean, he rest in peace, by the way. No shots. But it's just, I, I like a good graphic nasty movie, sure. But it's just so humorless. Like, there's mm-hmm. no humor. And it's just, and there's humor in Saw. There's humor. No matter what you think about right. the movies, there's absolutely humor, a dark sense of humor about those movies. 100%. And there are compelling characters. Mm-hmm. And in this, Arkin was the only compelling character. You know, pretty much everyone in the family, other than, like, the the little kid, kind of sucks. Yeah. And, and they're just... <sighs> You could say, like, oh, they're making a commentary on, you know, rich, upper-class white Americans, but I really don't think it was that. I think no, they I just <laughs> didn't know how to write compelling characters other than the main character. And then there's a part near the end of the movie where the collector gets him. He's got mm-hmm. him He's got him strung up, and I get that Arkin is trying to get a rise out of him, but 
Oh yeah. Repeatedly calls him an F-slur bitch. Yes. And it's just like, wow, that was a very 2009 moment. 100% you know, thought the same as, thing. <laughs> as, the same as someone, thing. as someone who unfortunately had that slur lobbed at them for, you know, years and years. I, there's no reclaiming that word for me within the, the queer community. But I also just, I hate hearing it in movies and on TV shows and stuff. It just leaves such a bad taste in my mouth. Well, if you were like, you know, I had a problem with that word, but after watching The Collector, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> we're back. I can, I can accept it. It's like, I'm reclaiming it yeah. now. Thank you to the thank yeah, you to Marcus Dunstan, you know? <laughs> At that point, I was just like, okay, I don't care what happens to you anymore. And then, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm already spoiling this movie, so I'm just going to yeah, say like... Fine. You you think he's going to get away at the end. He's got, like, the stone in his pocket so he can give it to his fence and get the money to his wife so that the people she owes money to aren't going to, you know, break her legs or There's, his like, some legs loan or, shark or plot that's yeah. really shoved in there, too, but we should right. mention it. And, and, and you're like, okay, cool, you know, fine, he made it out. And then the collector crashes his fucking van into the ambulance and rips this guy out of the... What is that? A gurney, like the the bed structure, in the ambulance. Like structure, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, and shoves him into a trunk, uh, like like an actual trunk, not the trunk of his van, yeah. an actual trunk. Because that's in in the trunk of his van, what the collector does is the collector he collects people, and I guess maybe we do learn more about this in the sequel, and maybe yeah, to be honest with you, I'm a glutton for punishment. I, I gotta see this dumb sequel now. I've gotta yeah. see this stupid movie. Maybe I'll like well, it more. Weren't, weren't they gonna make a third one or there something? There was a lot of talks. I thought honestly, I was convinced that they did. It's so still listed that, but... on Letterboxd as the collected, and the Ooh. one of the E's is a three. Oh. oh, they really figured that. Well, now they have to make it. I feel like the copyright has been paid for. <laughs> I mean, you can't go anywhere now without the collected. Um, so what you're saying though, at the very end of the day, May, is that. Uh, this is one piece. This is one item you don't want to collect. <laughs> no, I I believe I gave it two buckets of popcorn out of five. Oof, yeah, it's a, it's, or, it's a tough. Or beat. two organs in jars out of five. We'll go with that. And there are organs in jars in this in this film, from what I remember too. There's a lot of uh, body, uh, in, a lot of insides out. Yeah, not to steal from yeah, Pixar, and and not. Not in a way that you're like, oh, that looks cool. That's gruesome. It's it's just kind of like, Bleh. yeah. I, need, I I needed a John Kramer joke somewhere in there. I needed to see right. Billy running around his bicycle. I, maybe it would have been better, you know. I well, love Billy. I love Billy. And, and apparently, by the way, I read the plot for Saw. This is a new. This is Saw. Saw's back, and then Billy is back. John Kramer's back. So I'm looking oh, forward. Thank to, fucking god, because I hated Spiral. Yeah, Spiral was was quite disappointing. I was expecting a lot more, but we're back to Billy. We're back to John Kramer. This October, and hopefully, we, I'm sure we'll be doing something for that, Mike, right? I'm yeah. sure there'll be something heading our way for Saw, but yeah, we, we'll, I'm we'll sure we'll unlock see. an episode and maybe do another one. Who knows? We'll see. Um, Mike, are you excited to finally watch The Collector, though? I I had I'd watch it today. Uh, oh, you actually watched this. it? Oh, yeah. I love, I'm sorry. I would have absolutely <laughs> yeah. clued you over the last 10 no, minutes. No, no. I, I watched it today while I, I was you working. It. And it's just what a humorless movie. And, and the yeah. thing that's funny is that like it started out and Josh Stewart, Who's uh, Arkin, the great mm-hmm. Arkin? I recognize him as the little shit that hangs around uh, Bane in The Dark Knight Rises. Yes. Who's, yep. who's like, he's like, oh, we'll blow up the, you know, if you cross this line, we're going to blow up the whole place, or whatever. And then, you know, Bunny Colvin from 
and, and he's also in Barry. He he's staring at him and he's like, Oh my god. Like He's also in the collector. And oh is he real? Oh he is in the collector. Oh he's my the, god. He's the one who's, that is crazy. who sets up the robbery. Yes. yes. Oh my god, that is fucking crazy. So the two of them that? that must have been an inside joke from Christopher Nolan. Maybe Christopher Nolan's a huge uh, collector had <laughs> Uh, anyway, Christopher Nolan went to school with Patrick Melton or something like that. The oh right, God, the who knows? <laughs> but just it's just seeing because I, I actually he act the one silver lining I will say of this movie is that he kind of won me back because I did like watching him. I thought he was actually kind of a fun hero in the beginning, just in terms yeah. of like the way he gets around the house and you know moves around and all. But yeah, by the time you get to that second half, you're just like I don't really give a shit anymore. Even before he starts, you know, throwing out uh, the controversial words and stuff, I'm just kind of like. <laughs> Like, ah, oh, I'm done. House. Yeah, because it's just like everyone <laughs> kind of sucks. And it's like the the way I just I was thinking about just the scene that really encapsulates the entire movie for me is that you have two characters that are basically about to fuck. Mm. And instead what happens is someone gets pummeled by and gets chopped to pieces by a bunch of bear traps. Yep. And like that type of buzzkill is kind of the movie in itself it's like oh yeah. okay i yeah. just have to figure out I, the logistics i, I couldn't the, even laugh at it no i, I couldn't know. even laugh there's no at room that. for it yeah there's no yeah. room right because it's like you want to laugh at something like that because it's ridiculous yeah. okay. there's but as much room to funny. laugh than there are spaces to step in that room full of bear traps how long did it take this guy <laughs> oh, to set up these contraptions by the, the way how many right the first trap a, that gets the guy that's like what he gets thrown into the, the ceiling and then he gets thrown down down and it hits his balls. Yeah. In the, that whole thing was like, this is the most complex. This is more complex than what John Kramer usually does. <laughs> and this is not even in his own territory. This is someone else's house. Like, but the big difference, right. Mike, is the fact that this movie, the setup has to take place in, in a matter of hours. But yeah. with John Kramer, you think to yourself, and, and as you watch the movies, you say to yourself, oh, he's been playing this stuff out for years. Yeah, exactly. So I and believe it more. You with know? help. And with help. That's right. Right. Now, and, Which, and to be fair. You know, spoilers for Saw, but. And to be fair, maybe in the collection we do discover that there's a Shawnee. collection of collectors. And maybe that he does have help. Maybe Shawnee Smith is I, there. and you know. Shawnee Smith shows up in the mask. I will say that the, the actor who played the collector is Juan Fernandez. Now, I knew him because I used to watch as a kid. Crocodile Dundee 2, which I also yep. heard has not aged very well. He's in that it, movie. It has not. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I, would, I, I don't really plan on going back to that one. But he is one of the uh, drug dealers. He's the tall guy for yeah. all of you big Crocodile Dundee 2 fans out there. So I recognized him wearing a bandana in this movie as one of the exterminators. And I said, oh, there he is. That's, he's the collector. Yeah. I'm so great, everybody. God, I really am great. He's also in Salvador, which is uh, one of my favorite Oliver Stone movies, which oh. stars my my boy James Woods, problematic. <laughs> my favorite people. Pro- my, my favorite problematic actor from the well, 80s, we're really James Woods. really all, like the problematic. Crocodile yeah. Dundee, Dundee My favorite two, 80s cokehead, Jim, James Woods. <laughs> Jim Woods. Well, yeah. this has been another fun episode of Now Showing. And uh, but for the rest of June, we're just getting started because we've got a wedding to go to in a few weeks, namely Chucky and Tiffany's. And Ronnie Yu's Bride of Chucky as we continue our year-long coverage of the Child's Play franchise. And over on our Patreon, which I may or may not have mentioned earlier, patreon.com backslash Pod, we're going to be recording an audio commentary for Tim Burton's Beetle Juice. Don't say it three times. Whose long-awaited sequel is currently in production. We, we learned some news today. Mike, you were a little more... Ed. 
um, optimistic right. about than I was. I'm not that optimistic. <laughs> I'm just saying this is interesting. So Michael Keaton came out and was just like, hey, you know, this is uh, we're doing practical sets. It's the same thing as we did the, the original movie. I'm having more fun in this movie than I uh, had in a lot of movies uh, in recent memory. He basically talks about how they're all doing like like he was he explained that you know the scene with the the, the woman that works at the um, the waiting room. Yes, the waiting room. And how they, which I imagine is where this is going to open. That's the best joke. Mm-hmm. But the they're using like fishing wire to like like move things around well, the room great. and stuff. I, like and that's I, cool. Like, you know, I look. I love Beetlejuice. I think it's written by somebody who has passed away a long time ago, yep. which I think is honestly fifty percent of the charm of the movie when you really get down to it. Oh, easily like sixty percent, really. And I I, like, um, I wish everybody the best, and I'll be there to check it out. Beetlejuice two coming soon. Uh, but more well, importantly, well, hope you enjoy the original one when we talk about when it. we talk, which we love. We'll be talking all about it and over yeah, it for yeah. on our Patreon, as well as our continuing coverage again of uh, Indiana Jones, uh, the series for Fortune and Glory, the movie Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Mike, what is going on over at the Losers Club for June? Oh Lord, uh, never ends. We've got what, what is going on? Am I, <laughs> I know right? we we just run so many episodes. So because we did. The audio drama for the Boogeyman, which mm. was produced here, mm-hmm. which felt so, she, you know, you want to talk about your editing for this because it's pretty incredible. This we have a twenty-five oh, sure. minute original horror audio drama that's based on the Boogeyman that we made in conjunction with Twentieth Century Fox. Twenty, well, sorry, Twentieth Century, Century Studios. Studios. But May, you put this together, and it sounds incredible. Yeah, so uh, Dan Caffrey, writer extraordinaire, who I've been collaborating with at this point for. 11 fucking years on various things. I have always loved the plays that he's written and that, you know, that's outside of the music that we've done together. But he and I have always had this great synchronicity with understanding exactly how things are supposed to sound. It's, I don't know. It's definitely like a, there's a tin can phone from my heart to your brain situation to quote clone high, which, Oh, by the way, don't watch the new Clone High. I couldn't even make it through the first episode. It was May, so bad. You got to stick with it. I'm telling you, the second episode, I was crying. Okay. I, I, I'm okay. on the third episode. I'll try no, it. No plugs for David Zavzlov's Max, but uh, I'll just <laughs> say, um, stick with it. Stick with it. Stick with it. Okay. I'll try. Anyway, so Dan and I have always had this great synchronicity. And when I got asked to do this, I was very excited because it's been a while since I've gotten to actually score something. Or, or do sound design, you know, mostly I just work on my own music these days, but it was, it was so exciting. And I love doing audio drama podcast stuff back in the days of Timpanic Theater, which was co-founded by Dan. We started up a podcast and we only did a handful of episodes, but it was basically like, you know, one of our frequent collaborator writers would write a script that was either like monologue based mm-hmm. or, you know, multiple actors. And I would record it. I would edit it all together. I would do original music and sound design. And I had so much fucking fun doing that. And yeah. so getting to do that again was wonderful. And especially getting to do that for a scary story because you know, it, like like everyone involved in this podcast, I live and breathe horror, and it was it was really rewarding. And I did all of the music in one sitting, That's like cr- sitting in That's this chair wild. that yeah. I'm sitting in one one guitar. I mean, there's a couple points where there's like 
two guitars going on, but I wanted it to be really stripped back, really simple. I've, I've always done kind of drone guitar stuff for a lot of my scoring efforts because there's nothing else that really sounds like it. It, it doesn't work when you use a keyboard. Yeah. It's, you know, you're, you've, you've got a delay pedal set with a really long delay time and a really long feedback. You hit a chord or a note, you slowly turn up the volume knob and it just like builds this eerie kind of otherworldly bed of sound. And I love being able to put that with a spooky story. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing about so, that, I know you said you, you, you basically, well, you can cut out the second guitar. It sounds even better if you just say you did the whole thing in one sitting, by the way. Just cut, cut out the second guitar. But, oh, I mean, I did but, um, do it all in you, one sitting. <laughs> but I'll say that it's incredible you did that. Because I, I think, I remember I was on the email where Dan said, where we got the pitch. And then Dan said, oh, I can do this. I feel like Dan had written that entire thing in 24 hours. Like it's, it's he's incredible he at that he, too. He knocked so. it out pretty fast. Yeah. But it's it's all available. You hear May's score and and des- sound design and Dan's script. It's on the main feed. It's not even on the Patreon. It's yeah. on the main feed for the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. It's ad free so. too. So it's pre- because it's presented by the Boogeyman. So it's a it's a we're calling it canon. <laughs> it's gonna be canon with Stephen King lore. <laughs> we did no, it. but uh, but yeah. So we're finally gonna do the movie review which is this week. So we got the movie review and we'll have the Rob Savage interview as well. Mm-hmm. And you know. I'm on the, I am on the movie review episode yeah. too. So if you, if you're not sick of my voice, there Check you go. Out. Jump over there. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. It's, well, I it's mean, now playing. It's now playing. It's out there. Now showing. As, it's now as showing. As, yeah. Now showing. <laughs> um, now showing. But our book episode this, this, the, this month is just after sunset. So start reading that if you are a listener of both pods. That is a, a solid collection of short stories, in my opinion. One of my, one really of my favorite short stories is uh, in that opens the book, actually. So. It's a good one. It's a good one for you Stephen King fans out there. Maybe people are trying to get into Stephen King. Check it out. And as for us, though, May will be getting to work more or less immediately after <laughs> this episode. So she'll be able to relive the hilarity right away. <laughs> should, I, should I tell people where to find me or yeah, please, anything? Or? Absolutely not. No, no. That's not, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Uh, so I'm Everson Poe, E-V-E-R-S-O-N-P-O-E on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is a hot garbage fire these days, no. but I'm what? S- still on there occasionally and, you know, come over to Instagram to see cute selfies, my cats and some records. Yeah. I, Unlike the collector, no cats are harmed in the making of May's Instagram posts. Th- that is true. And yeah, 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 yeah. if if you want to check out my music, I'm Everson Poe with a space in between the two words on all streaming services and on Bandcamp. I put out a new album recently called Servant, which is the story of Medusa as a trans woman. And I'm really, really proud of that. I still have some t-shirts up for pre-order with the cover, like based on the cover art, which was done by my friend Stephen Wilson, aka Unknown Relic, who has done artwork for some really huge metal bands, which is pretty exciting that they also like doing my stuff. If people want to really check this out, the May, I know you can get, I know people can find it on spotify and apple and whatnot but it's probably best to go directly to Bandcamp, right in terms of your economic uh correct if you want to directly support me please buy my music on Bandcamp. none of it is very expensive a lot of it is pay what you want so you can pay a fucking dollar for stuff i have 
so much music up there, including old theater scores and a lot of other fun stuff. And I'm I'm done with all of my parts of my next album already, which is going to be two songs that are both over 25 minutes long. I'm Pink Floyd you know, Webb. All right. Yeah. Echoes uh, what? I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm ridiculous and I know it, but I'm fine with that. But yeah, I'm just waiting on a few other people to send me over their contributions and then that'll be coming out. And very excited about that. Excellent. So, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, again, May, thanks for joining us. And of course, thanks for having me. Of course. And thanks to you, the listener for joining us for now showing, but I'm afraid that the curtain is drawing to a close and the lights and the marquee have shut off. We hope to see you again soon, but unfortunately for now, this is the end. This is the end of our show, for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>